Let's send him some money. See if we can catch him. So this is not a stupid kidnapper. Somehow they keep these people alive and hidden. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous, multi-dimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hello, and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is your host, Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor, and writer-producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today in the studio is my lovely co-host. Hi, Jim. How are you? It's Francie Hakes. I'm fine, Francie. And aren't we lucky to have our favorite, Chris Voss, back today. How are you we, doing, Chris? We are Fantastic, lucky. guys. We're happy to continue to be a guest on your show. You guys wouldn't let me leave, so I've been taking hostage. Well, there you go. Uh-oh. Well, Perfect if anybody person. can talk himself out of it, it's Chris Voss, right, Jim? We'll see. We'll see how good he really is. It uh, hasn't worked yet. <laughs> but we are in the middle of talking about Chris's best case, a hostage situation in Manila, Manila, if I'm not mistaken. Inside Metro Manila. And we were just talking about the fact that you wanted to implement a new type of proof of life procedure. Proof of life procedure, yes, indeed. And why don't you tell us, first of all, little recap, what's right, the case? Uh, we, got, we got a gentleman kidnapped in the Philippines. Named Bob. Named Bob. We don't know it at the time, but he's been taken out of the backseat of a cab by the cab driver. Okay. He was flim-flammed. He was bamboozled. He was hoodwinked. Okay. And this was a regular cab. You know, that's a good question. I believe it was a regular cab. Of the things that I know about the case, it it certainly looked like a regular cab to those jumping into it. Okay, great. So did you get to implement this new procedure? All right. We're, we're ready to rock and roll with a brand new proof of life strategy that's going to give us the upper hand strategically. And that doggone guy went ahead and provided proof of life, which screwed up our plans. Mm -hmm. He also was negotiating with us via the internet, which is, one would seem, would be to be too risky. But this guy thought he was so smart. And for a while, yeah, he did a great job of keeping his location concealed. And is that, you thought it would be too risky, or generally speaking, it's too risky for them to communicate via the internet because the federal government and lots of local and state governments as well can trace the IP address. Trace the IP address. And find a person's physical location fairly quickly. And he was in Metro Manila, so one would think that you'd be able to find his physical location without too much trouble. Did you try that? 
They tried it and they triangulated based on his email addresses and also based on, we ultimately started to talk to him on the cell phone and he had rigged up uh, antennas quite some distance from where he actually was and was sending all the traffic out through that. So Chris, this kind of reminds me of proxy servers, which I ran into when I was prosecuting computer crimes against children, where the bad guy would use a proxy server to mask his location. It sounds like your bad guy, your kidnapper, was doing something very similar, but maybe in a little bit lower tech way. I, I think so. And this this was also a few years ago, so the technology is less evolved than, than, than it is now. So you all sent law enforcement to location you thought he was going to be. He wasn't there. So what else is happening while all this is going on? Well, um, I'm trying to get hostage negotiators into the Philippines at the time. And we have a brand new guy in charge of the uh, Manila office. And he's checking the regs and he says, I'm, I'm new here, but I don't see anything in the regulations about you getting to put people here. And typically somebody's brand new in a situation. They're not going to go outside the rules unless they see it's okay. He's resistant to having the specially trained top hostage negotiators in the country, maybe even the world, come and help him. I know, because it wasn't in any protocols. He's now, he's since come to see the light and has become, became one of the biggest advocates for my team. But I remember initially I couldn't get the official, got to be invited, can't just show. Right. Yeah. Somebody else's house, I couldn't get an invitation out of him. That basically. sounds to me like a typical quote, government employee. Yeah. Somebody who literally is incapable of thinking for themselves and incapable of assessing a life-threatening situation and realizing that the administrative details are not what's important here. Right. And, you know, there's kind of two attitudes on rules. There are those of us that say, if the rules don't tell me I can, I can't. And there are people like you and me that say, if the rules don't tell us we can't, we can Exactly. <laughs> and and we had a lot more fun. Yeah, we got a lot more done. So, so there you were. Negotiate, first, they had to negotiate to get negotiators in. And then as, as he floundered, um, then the Philippine National Police decided to go out on, on a raid. I haven't even got people in country yet. Family scared to death. The Philippine National Police has scared him. Our bad guy, who I didn't know it at the time, had previously kidnapped someone, cut off their ear, and sent the ear and the video to the company that employed the guy and got paid. I had heard about this in the past. I didn't know it was our guy. In this instance, he threatened to cut off the victim's ear and send the ear to the family. And the Philippine National Police said, hey, that happened here one other time. And they got went and got the video and they showed it to the family, which scared them out of their minds. They showed the family. They didn't show the FBI. Right. They showed the family. Now, for whatever reason, the Philippine National Police at the time Whatever their reason was, who knows? Scared the family to death. And now the family in Manila is becoming even more involved. And I'm no longer running from New York. I start talking to the brother on the phone while I'm trying to get people in country. And I can't get an invitation to get them in country. Next thing I know, the Philippine National Police are getting ready to hit a site. And they were going to go one way or another. But they asked the family, talked the family into it. I'm talking to them from the other side of the world. And I remember the night that night I went to bed, I thought could get up in the morning with dead hostage. That must have been a terribly, terribly helpless feeling for someone who's not used to feeling helpless. <laughs> well, um, I've been in situations before where if I'm satisfied, I've done everything I can, and I'll go back and look at everything. And it's, you, you got to know at certain times, you just sit down and say, let's see where this is going because there is nothing left for us to do. Mm. 
and you just got to write it out. I've but had a couple like that. But in this case, you had plenty to do. You were just being prevented from doing it. Right. All right. So now when's the action happening? What's going down? Philippine National Police hit the location Amen. and nothing's there. We expect the kidnapper to call back the next morning screaming and ranting and raving because mm -hmm. maybe he just barely got away. Who knows? He calls back up the next day, completely oblivious, has no idea there was a raid the night before. They missed by that much. Mm. And he just called back and said, where's my money? <laughs> so he had no idea that the alternate location that he set up on purpose had been hit. I had no idea there'd been a, a raid overnight. None. They but, missed by that far. But this was a location based on the previous case or this was a location based on their information in, in this case? Trying to triangulate off of a antenna, which is about five or six blocks away from the actual location. You don't know that. We find out after the fact. Okay. So- he calls and says, where's my money? Where's my money? How do you it's, respond? It's a new day. We, we, well, you know, I'm sure they wanted to stifle saying like, well, actually, it's nice to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> but by this point in time, the other thing that had gotten started was the kidnapper is telling the family, I want you to pay a daily amount of money, which is equivalent of $200 a day. So I will take care of your son while I research your family to see how much of a ransom you could pay. So he didn't make an initial demand for a specific amount. No, exactly. He says, "I, you know, I want uh, what in the government we call this a per diem. I want a per diem." <laughs> now, by this That's point in time, unusual, isn't it? Well, it's brilliant, and here's why it's brilliant. Why is it brilliant? Because he's going to gauge how much to ask for based on how long they pay two hundred dollars a day without complaining. And how quick they that's can put it gonna together. Be, yeah. That's going to be in the That's his research? Wealth. He's not going to go online and look at what they own or anything? There's no better way to research somebody than from the horse's mouth. Okay. And, uh, of course, to them, they're not doing bad. And mom is scared to death because she's seen the ear video already from the other case. And she says, pay. And, how, and that's normally, if I'm not mistaken, it can be anyway a weak point. For, that's the biggest weak point in some sort of kidnapping situation, right? The ransom transfer. So how is he going to try to stay anonymous if he's getting $200 a day? You can't wire it to him. Well, actually he can. And later on in the case, we'd gone back and forth on the ransom. First of all, I said, all right, we're not paying the 200 a day because you're going to be paying 200 a day for the next 10 years. And then he's going to say, I want $50 million. So there's tremendous strife internally among the family because the brother that I'm coaching who's the only person that's talking to me on the phone, he's satisfied that I know what I'm doing and my strategy's right. But he's got to interpret it for mom, and mom is mad at everybody else anyway. So there's a lot of strife that he sort of mitigates for us until I can get people in country. So on down the line, we actually decide, because he says, I want it wired to this account, which means I can pick it up from any ATM in Manila. And we decide probably about 10 days after that, you know, let's send him some money, see if we can catch him. As it turns out, the banking system in Metro Manila, you put money in a bank account, they don't have cameras at ATMs. He knows that. He goes to an ATM, withdraws the money, no muss, no fuss, gets the money, and we don't touch him. So this is not a stupid kidnapper. This is a ridiculously smart kidnapper. As I said before, the only lone kidnapper we ever ran across. Well, and something you just said really caught my attention, and that was 10 days later. Yeah. So this sounds like this happened over a long period of time. Well, relatively speaking, what's long? Kidnappings in Colombia last seven years. A kidnapper with a criminal is generally going to go down in most likely less than two weeks. Depending upon the environment in Haiti, you can get a kidnapping go down in less than a week. And 
when you say in Colombia it can last seven years, how the hell do they keep somebody alive that long? Well, that's a lot of waiting and caretaking. Yeah. yeah they, they, the FARC in Colombia, the FARC has got an infrastructure. They At one point in time, they held an entire region of Colombia. But do they, they really keep the person alive for seven years? Oh, yeah. Hundred? Yeah. There were Americans that were rescued in a kidnapping operation right after I left the bureau in 2008. The Americans have been held for seven years. And there was a Ingrid Betancourt, a dual national French Colombian citizen, had been held, I think, for 10. And, oh and somehow they keep these people alive and hidden. And do they move them around or are they just... They, in they, such a remote area that nobody ever goes by there. It's uh, it's very remote. It's very difficult to get to, and they move them around. And they're you know they're in FARC held territory. They're in, in okay. The guerrillas hold the countryside. So anybody who's listening to this, who's planning to go into Colombia, please be careful. Please be careful. Or you know, one of, one of our hostages came out of Colombia once. Had lost seventy pounds while he was there. He'd been hiking around the mountains and eating rice for about 18 months. And his doctor told him on his first checkup when he came back that he needed to get kidnapped every three years. Wow. <laughs> well, I guess there uh, could be an nice. upside yeah. to the yeah. hostage you're healthy, diet. You're hiking, yeah. you're eating rice. Speaking of hostage diets, organic. so let's get back to Bob in Manila, which sounds like a call-in show. But let's go back to Bob in Manila. You said that after 10 days, there was an attempt made to give him some money. Was the point of that to try to see if you could track him? Right. We wanted to see if we could scoop him up, how successful his mechanism for getting paid was going to be, what kind of evidence. Maybe we don't scoop him, but maybe we get to the ATM five minutes after he takes some money, uh, we can fingerprint it. Maybe there's cameras at the ATM and we can, we can mark the time and we can pull the film. The point of many of these cases is to gather evidence within the commission of the crime so that you can convict or you can, the evidence will lead you to other conspirators that weren't directly involved. So you want, you're trying to gather evidence all the time. And so are you on the ground in Manila at this point or do you at ever this point, go? Um, I am, I'm running the strategy from Washington, DC and I have got two negotiators finally in country that are executing the plan because, you know, it's the other side of the clock for me. I need somebody running things my overnight and I got to check with them frequently through the night, but I can't be there to hold the family's hands, but I still have to know the strategy and they've still got to check the strategy with me. So in country means in Manila in this case. In Manila, I got two negotiators. Okay, so they're in the Manila, they're negotiating, what's going on? All right, so you put up a command post, if you will. We call it a negotiation operations center. You set aside a room someplace in somebody's house. Ideally, it's uh, a living room, a dining room is best. You don't want to put it in a bedroom because that's people's personal space. It's the only place in the midst of a kidnapping they can go and be safe is their bedroom. You don't want to put it in the kitchen because you need a relaxed place that everybody can interact in. So you don't put the your command post, your negotiation operations center, you don't put it in the kitchen. You want to put it in a living room or a dining room. It's a working area. You put up a desk. You put up big pieces of paper on the wall where you write dialogue and suggested dialogue. You sit down and you practice with people over potential dialogue and you go back and forth. You give them the strategy and one person role plays a kidnapper and and you put pressure on the person that's going to do the negotiating. And then you point to the different things that you put up on the wall so that when you hit them with, when he says this, you say that. Or when he says this, and it really comes down to asking deferential questions. Secret to gaining the upper hand in any negotiation is to give the other side the illusion of control. 
So how do you give the kidnapper the illusion of control so that he feels in charge, but you're actually guiding the whole situation? So you're basically scripting it through the people who the kidnapper is talking to. Right. Scripting it through your third party intermediary, in this case, the brother. Okay. Sometimes that's probably easy and sometimes that's probably difficult, right? It's always both. You want your most coachable person. And in this case, the brother was brilliant and started to come up with stuff spontaneously that I never heard of before, but based on our coaching, which was brilliant. Sometimes if it's difficult, we actually had a case one time where um, the wife was determined to negotiate with the bad guys. She was the worst person. We couldn't get proof of life. Every time she got on the phone, she melted down. She'd yell and scream. She was going crazy. She was so difficult that finally they put her husband on the phone to tell her to shut up and give the phone back to her brother so they could work out a deal. Smart. And it was her husband who'd been kidnapped. It was her husband who'd been kidnapped, and we didn't have proof of life up to that moment in time. Wow. But she was so unstable. But you got the proof of life through her instability. You you know, so that's why it's always good and bad. Okay, so you got the proof of life, in this case, unintentionally. Right. By accident, damn it. And now you're negotiating. You got the brother being the lead negotiator. Brother's doing a great job. He's caught on of the power of deference. Okay, you taught him that. We taught him deference. We taught him a low tone of voice. We taught him learn to ask a natural question that if you weren't scared – You'd ask anyway. Okay. And he got to be so deferential and so methodical that probably about a week in with him, the kidnapper literally says on the phone, wow, nobody ever dealt with me like this before. So what did that tell you? A couple things, right? He got the upper hand. But it also told you he's done this probably more than once before. Right. And most likely they didn't involve an experienced negotiator in the process, right? Right. And then the other subtle slip here was a great negotiator, decision maker. If the decision maker comes to the table, they're going to say, you know, I'm not in charge here. I got a board of directors. You know, I got people I'm accountable to. They always blame people outside the room. And the more they blame somebody outside the room or the more they use plural pronouns, the more influential they are. Kidnappers are the same way. Mostly you don't get the boss on the phone. Mostly the boss has an emissary. Mm-hmm. The less powerful the emissary is, the more singular pronouns the emissary uses. I, me, my. Lots of I, me, my stuff. We got this guy on a phone, and he is always we, they, them, plural pronoun after plural pronoun. And I remember at the time, I thought, we got the boss on the phone. Because he's going overboard in terms of right. overselling the we. Now, I never imagined he was the only guy. Not in 8 million years that I think we had a lone kidnapper, but I did think we had the boss on the phone, which is another good thing because we got the boss on tape. Mm. We ever catch the boss, he can't deny it was who was on the phone. Tape's great evidence. So we got the boss on the phone, but then in that moment when he was caught off guard, he says, nobody ever dealt with me like this before. Mm. He's revealing he's the man. There you go. So we, we, keep, we keep going on this, and we're going back and forth and back and forth on the ransom. The guy's giving in. He's he's offering us discounts, if you will. He's offering to forgive us for the daily per diem that we haven't provided. Because every every day goes by, he, wants a, he says, you know, it's another $200 you owe me. And he's keeping tally of it. 
until he starts offering us discounts on on the amount that's on the debt, if you will. Mm. And then finally, the brother that will coach him, he's on his own spontaneously. He says, when we run out of money paying the daily rate, what's going to happen? And there's a moment of silence on the other end of the line. And our killer, now we don't know he's a killer, but our serial killer literally says, it'll be all right. My negotiators don't know immediately what this means. Mm. But they call me on the phone. They said, you know, we had an interaction today. We, we think it's pretty good, but we're not sure what it means. And they tell me, and I, I start doing a happy dance immediately. Well, you got to tell me because I don't know what it means. I think I know what it means. He just promised he'll never kill our hostage. That he's going to give him back as long as he keeps getting money for a period of time and he's happy, right? Because it, it was his opportunity to say, if I don't get my money, I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. Instead, he says, that. it'll be all right. Where, where does that leave him? So now we got this guy in the ropes. I know we absolutely got him a thousand percent on the ropes. For whatever reason, we completely have the upper hand. The guy I'm coaching is doing a phenomenal job. We're coaching. And it's time for me to rotate negotiators out because they're normally in country 21 days. And we were at the point now where we were now talking about doable amounts of money that the family could do, which for me is not good enough. I still need the best price. <laughs> for a variety of reasons. I'm to get a good price. I'm going to get you a good deal on a hostage. Yeah. <laughs> but Chris. Aren't you playing with somebody's life here? That was not what I was going to ask, but that's a good question. What I wanted to know was why are you ne- rotating out your negotiators who know everything about everything uh, after good question. 21 days? Everybody has a limited bandwidth, a limited time span. And I dropped somebody in country and they're working 24-7. They're burned out at 21 days. And that's a maximum we can leave them in country before they just can't think anymore. It's just too much. And so we've, we've got a steady rotation of 21 days. My negotiators call me on a phone a few days before they get ready to come out because they think, and they literally say to me, look, we think we could do a deal. Why don't we go ahead and I know you think we could push the ransom down some more. Why don't we go ahead and let the family pay and get them out? And I said, no, nah. we have to stick to the process. We got to run the process all the way out. You trusted the process. I trusted the process. So I make arrangements to send people in and bring them out. And literally, when the new shift has just gotten to Manila and the second shift is in the air on the way back, the Philippine National Police come up with a second location. They've got much better intel. I think we got this guy on the ropes. But again, I, I never I never turn a thumbs down on a rescue. And it's not up to me anyway. It's the family's call. But I'm not, I'm not, it's risky, but I'm not against another rescue attempt. Philippine National Police go out and hit a house and ain't the house where the hostages. Again? It is, however, a house where the kidnapper's wife is. And how did they know that? She was there. And they come crashing in, and we've got a name at this point in time, and she's saying, well, he's not here, but we have another house. So they go and hit the second house, Mm -hmm. and the kidnapper's not there. But our victim is in the basement. There you go. He's in the basement. Chained in the basement. Chained in the basement. Is he out driving his fake taxi? Who knows where he is, but the Philippine National Police just sat in the house and waited for him to come home. (laughs) Oh, my. That was a bad day for him. And scooped him up. Mm. So they get him. We got him, and that's when we found out the the first kidnapping with the ear, with the video. It was him. In a follow-on investigation, they also found out about another kidnapping where the, a ransom was paid and the victim was never found, mm. which leaves only one outcome. 
He's been killed. He killed him and, and disposed of the body. So we got a guy that not a thousand percent sure how long he'd been kidnapping and killing in Manila, but he's not doing it anymore. So he's just a serial killer for money. Yeah, and and both. You know, who knows what all he liked. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a killer, a mur- definitely without without question, a murderer and a kidnapper would that would take ransom because he took ransom in the first ear chopping. He took a ransom and let the victim go. Well, he must have really loved the power feeling that he got from not just killing people, or, but also kidnapping them, holding them, negotiating with the family. Absolutely. It sounds like that kind of personality, right? Yeah, absolutely. I th- and that was why he why he was so arrogant with us. And I'm pro- you know, he's sending emails. He's talking on on a cell phone that he's hanging on to. But let me just tell you this: to me, if I'm a serial kidnapper, and which is not, by I'm way. not so far anyway. Thank goodness, there's still time. Um, that <laughs> I and I have one successful case, right? And one case in which I got the ransom and killed the guy anyway. Yep, ransom okay. was paid. The victim never turned up. Right, but then. On the third case, somebody treats me different. I've only had two cases, basically two instances, with which to develop a baseline. I mean, to say, oh, nobody has ever dealt with me this way before. I don't know. It seems like ever well, seems two cases than that two. we know of. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's possible that he did this a whole bunch of times. Uh, I would think, as as we believe in law enforcement, you know, probable cause is in, an indicator of much more. And my guess is he did it a bunch more times. Mm. Wow. So this guy got home and he had both his ears? Came home intact. Did he move Uh, back to the United States? He's back in the United States. He's a successful entrepreneur. The stress it put his family through, they're still working their way through. Mm. They worked their way through most of it over about a five-year period of time. But I've been in touch with a brother that I coached. Mm Mm-hmm. We've had some heart-to-heart conversations, and he's talked to me about the amount of stress it put on the family and the fact that they're still recovering because this, you know, it brings out every bad feeling is magnified. You know, mm. every 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 family's got issues, if you will. If you're human, you got issues. Yeah, well, that are. was a month, right? That was a month that they a month over agonized about what was happening to their loved one at any given moment of the day and night. The definition of traumatic stress. Yeah, can you imagine if trained? FBI hostage negotiators can only last 21 days. How much more stressful the situation is for the family, and they're not trained. They're just thrown into this. There's no avocation here. Wow, that's pretty crazy. But it was successful. Got the hostage out, unharmed. Family didn't lose a dime, except for the $200 I paid once. But Right. So need we ask, why is this a best case for you? We rescued the victim. We, not one dime, got into the hands of the bad guys. And uh, in many cases, international kidnappings, you get a hostage out, but you may never get your hands on the bad guy. It might be five, six, seven, ten years. We indict all of them. We present the evidence in court. But from indictment to when we get our hands on them can be years. Yeah. This guy's taken off the street right away. So we got a, we got a hostage rescue. No money went uh, to any bad guy. We took a bad guy off the street and, in fact, our new strategy ended up being stronger in a lot of other ways that we didn't. And that, w- that was a test case, which we went with that strategy from that point forward, which is basically artfully asking innocent questions, deferentially innocent, raising passive aggression to a bullying adversary to a new level. Mm. And did you find out whether the wife was in on it? 
The Philippine National Police, from what I understand, um, did a very detailed follow-on investigation, and there were enough issues with us not being sure of them following what would be accepted American protocols on that follow-up investigation. It is not us up to American law enforcement to tell other people what to do if they're abiding by their laws. But if when we see that their rules and regulations are far more permissive than ours are, we register a complaint with the appropriate governmental authorities and we back away. So do you have any idea whether this guy was actually prosecuted? Prosecuted went to jail. Here or there? In the Philippines. Mm -hmm. If you are committing crimes in the Philippines, there's there's unfortunately a, a high level of corruption in the government and you're not paying the right people off and you go to jail, there's a pretty good chance you're never going to come out because then they got to make an example of you. An example of you for not paying bribes. Right. Wow. Well, Jim, our listeners know that I call things like that, Chris, a pine box sentence. And if this guy was a killer, which sounds like he absolutely was, and maybe many times over, he certainly deserved it. Justice comes to them one way or the other, doesn't it? For some. Well, it came to him. Well, I can see why this is one of your best cases, Chris. I just want to say that as a prosecutor, I never really had any dealings with your unit and the kind of things that you did. Certainly, local kidnappings were much more in the tenor of you know, domestic kidnappings or child kidnappings, some international parental kidnappings, but nothing like what you did. And I just want to say thank you for your service and everything you did for Americans vulnerable abroad. That's very kind of you. I would echo that as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. And one day we'll have Chris back on to talk about that karaoke house in Manila that we met. Jim Clemente singing Elvis songs. I, for one, cannot wait. (laughs) Love Me Tender. That was my favorite. (laughs) Still touches my heart. Sorry. It was was in the ghetto. It had nothing to do with Love Me Tender. (laughs) This has gone off the rails. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for being here. Thank you, Francie. And until next time, we're signing off on Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knowledge is power, and when we know the facts about sexual abuse, we can better protect kids. Darkness to Light has already trained more than 1.4 million adults to keep children safe from sexual abuse. I'm one of those 1.4 million, Jim. Using their Stewards of Children Prevention Training, they give you and gave me the facts, tools, and tips I needed to help keep the kids I love safe, and you can do the same with their Stewards of Children prevention training. Get trained today to prevent, recognize, and react responsibly to child abuse in your community. Learn more about Darkness to Light and child sexual abuse prevention at www.d2l.org. That's D, the numeral 2, L.org.